0: Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve.
1: So it's going to be three. Is that a fourth, right? Pass.
2: Okay.
1: I don't have to get that close to it. Okay. Hold on, hold on. Okay, my name is Sal, I'm the leader of this meeting, and our meeting topic is Helping Professionals in Recovery. Please join me in a moment of silence followed by the serenity prayer. God, God grant me the serenity serenity. to To accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Thy will, not mine, be done. Okay, I'd just like to remind everyone that this is a taped meeting in the spirit of the 12th step. The tape recorder cannot be turned off. If you do not wish to be taped, we suggest that you choose another meeting at which to share or feel free to simply listen at this meeting. At this time, I would like to introduce our panel members who will share their experience, strength, and hope for approximately 10 minutes on the topic of helping professionals in recovery. Okay, we have Ryan W., Ed M., and Mike C. Okay, we have to, to wait for.
3: I'm sorry, can I just interrupt for one second? I apologize. We have a group in the meeting next door that we have about almost hundred you know, seventy-five people and we're really this big. You- Is there anyone we can switch?
1: No. Waiting for the gentleman that's gonna be doing the taping. He told me to wait. Oh, it's on already? Okay. Okay, without further ado, then we will begin.
3: Morning, everybody. I'm Ryan W. I'm a grateful recovering sexaholic. Hi Ryan. Hey, Ryan.
4: Oh, I bad
3: recovering sexaholic. Hey. Um, this is the first for me, guys. I apologize if I if I have been asked to be a panelist here because uh, I am in the, um, helping profession. I, uh, I spent about, what are these guys about, approximately about four, four to five years working in the field of helping people with, uh, psychiatric diagnoses along with co-occurring, um, addiction disorders. And addiction disorders ranged from, um, Alcoholism to heroin abuse to um I mean anything you name it under some pills, whatever people wanted to abuse, I worked with them in some sort of degree or another. Um I mean at first the field was very um the field for me was very difficult to work with in terms of um the type of attitudes that I was gonna run up across at. But um the uh the overall experience to date has been very beneficial. Um, the uh, I mean I began going into this without actually being in without actually being in recovery first of all. Um, I, I, I mean, I knew I wanted to attempt to work with um, with work with some sort of consumer that could use the help, but uh, without being in recovery myself, it was just it, it wasn't getting and nothing was getting done. Um, I would uh, you know I would stout myself, I would. I would um, I don't I don't think I was communicating clearly to them because I just wasn't there I wasn't a whole person and the thing happened when I began working at um, another position as a um, as a uh, it, it was it was a for a Micah specialist position I was asked to uh, to ask to come on as a sidekick for uh, somebody else I um. I am um, I began to actually enter into recovery because I entered into recovery about 2004, and uh, the experiences that I received in, in helping other people with, because um, not only am I, not only am I diagnosed, not only am I an addict, but I'm also diagnosed with a mental illness too as well, of generalized anxiety disorder, and going into a field, at first not knowing or not being aware of this, and I think the nature of the addiction for myself was it just removed me from my own personal reality. Um, so going into working, trying to help, going into the health profession with me not acknowledging who I was at first or initially, I, um, I, um, I mean, I guess I, I just wasn't, I wasn't doing the job that I was intended to do. So as I got into recovery more, I found out that my ability to relate to the consumer, um, to relate to people who were requesting for services, of knowing the heart and mind of what an addict and even somebody with mental illnesses is, is, is all about. Um, I mean, cause the, the issues of these people ranged from, you know, the real chronic to the real severe, the long-term hospitalizations, state hospitals, years of substance abuse, substance dependence. I understood, I was beginning to understand on an intellectual level, um, as well as an emotional level, what somebody had been through. You know they say uh, they always say in the program you know uh, spirituality uh, religion is for people who don't want to go, hell, to go to hell spirituality is for people who've been there and don't want to go back um i understood what that was all about in my profession it was go it was so easy to walk in as recovery was opening its doors for me and helping me to see inside myself a lot more clearly i was able to identify more readily to people and to communicate them from I guess, a spiritual perspective of what it's like to deal with an addiction and be in recovery. Um, I guess I can walk in there with a sense of having some integrity because I guess that was the issue uh, before I was in recovery, attempting to help people when I wasn't in recovery myself. And it just can't be done. I learned it the hard way. It cannot be done. If I'm not in recovery and, and I'm trying and I'm attempting to help people, it just doesn't work. I'm still trying to hide a life. And, and, you know, and what, what kind of what kind of help am I providing people when I'm trying to do that? So after, after some time, I mean, the the, the, obvious, the, the one pains of being, uh, being in the helping profession as a person in recovery, um, it's difficult to deal with the people in terms of a lot of them don't make it. A lot of them go back out there, and it's painful to see. It's tough to see as someone in recovery, I can invest all my time in, to helping somebody else. And at first it was almost taking it very personally. Like, oh, this person realized, what well, why did they do that to me? You know, uh, but it's not. In fact, I realized over the course of time that it's, that they, they really were doing it to themselves. Um, so, I mean, I had to learn to sort of let go of some of those, some of those issues. Um, I mean, as time went on, Understanding myself and understanding my addiction a lot better. I was able to It was able to become a lot more easier and able to identify with a lot of the pain a lot of the issues a lot of the emotion a Lot of the spiritual death people had experienced because I myself had experienced much of that um, with as a result of my addiction and so um, You know and so it was a lot more able to bring a sense of hope and purpose to people who were trying to work with recovery. Now mind you not everybody in the field that I was working with had that actually outcome like I said before there's a lot of people that you know fall fall off the wagon but it was great to see the people who uh who were uh, actually in it and were willing to do the work for it. Um, and uh it's it's good to go in there with the sense that you know I'm getting paid to keep sober. You know, I'm getting paid to go in there one day at a time to keep somebody else from going out there that day. Um, and that was such a good experience. Granted, the, uh, the type of work, I mean, it didn't pay very well. <laughs> but you got you got the payments from other things. You got people who 40, 50 odd years of alcoholism, guys have been an alcoholic for, you know, more than I've been born. Uh, stay sober one day at a time and to understand what that's like to understand what that experience to some degree of Knowing what it's like to stay sober one day at a time the difficulty in that um, It's a rewarding experience to see that and um, I Tell you I don't I I Mean I don't want to say that without doing the job that I did Recovery would have been a little bit more um, ingrained in me, but I want to say that working with people in recovery um, in the profession that I was that, that I am in is uh, it, it really reinforced the principles because every single day I had to go in there and act the program uh, and act you know as if this is this is somebody they can rely on and understand because an addict that I was working with could really smell right through you. I mean that's a the thing. They understand if you're not if you're not playing the game They'll see right through it, Um, and so it was good for me to be always routinely practicing my program, working my steps, willing to face my fears. Because, I mean, it's it's something you're playing, you're you're bringing to the recovery, you're bringing to the helping profession, of um, and for me, that's helping other addicts is understanding on some sort of emotional level of what they're dealing with, and if I don't try to challenge those own those same fears, which present to me during my own recovery um, if I don't allow myself to experience and go through that myself my emotional process has been stunted and my help as a profession um, can't go on I mean there's that there's that line that says a vision for you says uh, we can't give away something we haven't got you know I gotta realize that my own house has to be in order before I can communicate anything and that's what I found that's what I began to think back and realize over the beginning first year or so of being in the helping profession as somebody in recovery, that's why I was failing at it. Because I, I wasn't transmitting anything to anybody. I was transmitting lies and deceit, unfortunately. You know? Um, but when I got into recovery and got true to myself, um, I began to realize that I was transmitting an understanding and empathy. Uh, and, you know, I, I realized that some of the, you know, you can have the greatest psychologist in the world, but somebody not understanding the spirituality of uh, what it means to recover from an addiction, um, you know, I, I don't think it's gonna be communicated clearly and I don't know if the connection's gonna be there um, as strongly as, uh, say, someone who might be in recovery. I mean, at least that's been my experiences, you know. But, um, I mean, overall, like I said before, being in the helping profession as someone in recovery has really reinforced the program myself stay on top of it. I mean, that's still a choice I could take today. I mean, I can always decide one day or another to throw recovery right out the window. Um, But I decided not to do that. Because it it really took me to go in there to face people and say, you know, I'm a man of integrity and I can do this type of work because I understand where you're coming from. And I tell you, it's to to see somebody go to you because of that is is such an incredible experience. And and that's what it's been for me up to this point. It's been such an incredible experience. And I don't know anything else that works but a twelve step program. I mean, people go out there. Well, what about therapists? What about one to one? What about this? What about that? Okay, I said that's fine. I mean, that's that's great. But you understand what this means as far as lifestyle changes are concerned. And uh, for a lot of people, it scares a lot of people away. Um, you know, lifestyle. What do you mean talking about lifestyle changes? I don't want to. You know, I don't know what I want to change. I don't. You know, um, but. But when you explain that to somebody from the perspective that it's, it's, it's progress, not perfection, have it done yourself, because I had some of those, a lot of those same questions myself about my challenges to my recovery, my lifestyle changes that had to happen, my things that had to sacrifice, my things that had to surrender. I mean, it's, I'm glad I went through my experiences of my own personal, my own personal struggles and as, as an addict and as an active sexaholic to come to this point and being in recovery understanding what that's like I mean it's made the profession the helping profession a lot more easier a lot more satisfying um, and uh, really have no regrets about it you know and I sometimes I thank God for my addiction because it helped me appreciate life and bring that to uh, people who can use the same needs because I understand what the true needs are now Um, I understand that what it's what it's all about so you know thank you thanks for letting me share appreciate it
4: Once again, hi, I'm Ed. Hi, Ed. hi, Ed. hi Ed. I, I am powerless over lust. Uh, a couple things about me so that uh, you understand my professional relationship with people and, and how I think recovery um, uh, uh, relates to that. So, my experience is um, I um, suffer from same sex lust. Uh, I was sexualized as a youngster by a, a same age uh, friend. And, uh, you know, to go on. It, High school, I guess I, I swore off any kind of sexual activity. It resumed uh, when I was in graduate school with some masturbation that became compulsive. And that, of course, became connected uh, in due time with pornography. Pornography narrowed down to uh, same-sex sort of thing. And uh, and all that was uh, medicating my feelings. Um, when I was a youngster, I, I, I uh, lived in a family that, that we, we didn't deal emotionally well with one another, and, and uh, I was incredibly distant from my dad until 1990, 1991. Um, things changed. I'm grateful for that. Uh, but uh, um, I, I developed uh, what my uh, therapists would call... Uh, 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 strong intellectual defenses. I lived my life in my head Uh, and uh, uh, so I was really, really very disconnected from my feelings. Um, But I became a clergyman and uh, uh, went on to uh, great heights and uh, fell to great depths. Uh, Five years ago this coming May I was arrested in a sting uh, in a park um, in the same um, sweep uh, there was uh, 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 a businessman uh, a Lutheran minister uh, myself uh, and, and other people that never got into the paper but the three of us professionals did <laughs> yeah and, and it was a, it was a, it was an incredibly hurtful experience for me but also for those who loved me Um, The first thing I had to deal with in recovery was Shane. Being in the newspaper, on the television, uh, I was just devastated. Called a friend of mine uh, also, uh, uh, and and, uh, he came over and and I said, take my guns. I didn't feel suicidal. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do when this hits the news. And I knew it was coming because they called and asked for comments. Well, anyway, the boss said... uh, uh, you're going to treatment. And I didn't say no, 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 like the, the little song says, but I said, yeah. <laughs> and so right away went into treatment. But the, the thing that the helping professions in, in treatment were so wonderful. Uh, but a friend of mine reached out right away. We had corresponded a little bit, and, and he read my letter, and he said, You have so much shame. Get rid of it. It doesn't help you. And that's the, that's where I, I start with my recovery, uh, and and with that I, I found SA, uh, and and a place where I could express who I am, uh, without fear. So shame, fear, anger, and resentments. I love resentments. In my work, you know, I, uh, the uh, superior above me uh, was. Um, let's put it this way. If, if I get back into remembering that, I, the resentments come back and I, I, uh, uh, you know, I, I, really have to work the steps continually on this experience because it's, it's, it was just nasty. Um, and, and, uh, power badly used can be terribly destructive. So, uh, I was acquitted of the charge, you know, unlike, uh, the Senator, I didn't plead guilty. Um, uh, I, uh, uh, that caused some conflict in treatment because I had to go back for court, you know, and, and back and forth and that kind of thing. But then when I went to trial and I was sitting, uh, fortunately at that time for me, there was only one other person in the courtroom, uh, and I think she was a, 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 a law student. Uh, but to, to really get on the stand and speak the truth, my lawyer counseled me prior to my testimony. Uh, I, I said I felt chosen in this activity, and, and he said, "Don't say that." And then I, treatment says, "Well, you, you talk about your feelings." So I disobeyed him. I write on the understand. I said I, I felt chosen, and the judge she was writing right at that point. And I thought, then I read her sentence, and that was significant, you know, the the, the 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 whole feeling thing. So what I can bring to my profession in recovery is first of all. Um, the first time I was back in the saddle, I stood up in front of the congregation, and I said, I am sorry. It was just as simple as that. Uh, I said, I'm not going to make any excuses. Uh, you know, I, I've done wrong, and, and I'm moving on. Uh, one lady came up to me later, and we we're there was controversy, obviously. And many people, you know, left and all that kind of stuff. And, and she said to me, that was enough. And then, now when people come to me, uh, uh, for instance, a woman says, "I, uh, you know, I'm in adultery." And I said, "I know the territory." She says, "I know you do." You know, and and then you know we get into you know what's the issues. Uh, I find over and over again, you know, like this shame issue here with me. uh, People get beyond the shame. You know, you're not a bad person. You do bad things. We all do, <laughs> you know, and, and, and just to move beyond that and, and then to get into uh, effective uh, change. Um, the recovery piece, um, when I was in my addiction, I did seek counseling twice. The second time was very effective. A guy, a classmate of mine, uh, Bright, we were never friends, so there wasn't a professional conflict or personal conflict there or whatever, but he, he had me honed down to a T. His last thing was... You have to share this. I couldn't. You know, I couldn't get into recovery at that time. It took an arrest and public exposure to get me out. You know? and, and so what, what do I? I share experience. I share strength. I share hope prudently. You know, I don't go into the details. has taught me that. You know, like the early days of recovery, you know, like with my sister, God bless her. I, <laughs> you know, and all the anger, you know, the hurt that came out of that, you know, was, was terrible. So, you know, I, I, I just am very, very cautious about, you know, what I share. I just simply know, they know, I've been in the papers. That's all they need to know, you know, and, and that's all that, that has to happen. Um, it, finally for my recovery I learned to say no I can't do everything you know, I, I can't be there all the time for everybody I have to be here you know so I have to take a weekend off you now I have meetings every Friday that I attend my home group in Bloomington and uh, uh, so somebody else does my Friday work and and uh, People generally don't know that, I don't comment about that, but but in order for me to be available to people, I have to be true to myself, and I can't get back in the head. Do I? Yes. My living recovery to perfection, no, it's progress, and I am so grateful for the progress. Um, My history has become a blessing for me, and I hope for others if I stay honest with myself and honest with my recovery. Um, I'm grateful that my life has been broken open uh, so that, that it somehow, in some way, my share can, can help others. I've been very grateful in the last few months. Uh, I, I've, over the course of the last five years, I've had uh, uh, six sponsees. I've got four currently, and they're such a joy. You know uh, they're they're really really so so wonderful and 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 it, it, it teaches me once again the wisdom of the program can't keep it to ourselves we have to share it you know so I share program recovery with people who are in program I share my recovery with my clients <laughs> prisoners, or whatever, that within the appropriate boundaries, and, and 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 gratefully, my acting out never violated any kind of professional boundaries, so I'm grateful for that. Um, so that's a bit of my experience, my strength, and my hope. My hope is um, we are on this road of happy destiny, trudging sometimes. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah.
5: morning everybody my name is Mike and I'm powerless over lust Hi, Mike. and it's wonderful that you're here today those of you from near and those of you from far um, what, what I'd like to do is I'd really like to start it's uh, with, with just sort of getting in touch with some reflecting that I've been doing fairly recently uh, first of all I guess I needless to say um, Four or five years ago, never in my life could I have imagined myself being at an essay convention, uh, let alone um, sitting in front of the room and being a panelist. Um, just absolutely incredible, and uh, well, uh, and it's just just a joy to be here and a joy to be of service to this convention kind of brings to mind all the other wonderful, wonderful things that have taken place in my life uh, since I started coming to SA meetings for real. Uh, I say for real because this is my third round. My first round was uh, a whole bunch of years ago uh, when I was uh, caught by my wife um, and uh, went to meetings for a while and then stopped going to meetings and uh, then some time later was caught again by my wife and um, went to meetings for a while and after a period of time stopped going to meetings and uh, it's been a little bit over three years now since I've been going to meetings on a regular basis. And the uh, the things that I have today really, 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 just as I said, like being here um, and being on this panel, just absolutely, absolutely remarkable. Um, In uh, April of 1984 is really when I got my introduction to uh, 12-step programs, because it was in April of 84 that I had hit my bottom with drugs and uh, went to a rehab. I was there for about six weeks. And um, I knew that I wasn't happy doing things the way I was before I went to rehab. But I wasn't sure, really, what else I would do, in a sense, um, when I got out. But I think that one of the things that I heard a couple of times while I was in that rehab that sort of made sense to me, that I could buy into, was um, give, it a try, give sobriety a try for 90 days. And if you're not happy, your misery will be cheer- cheerfully refunded. <laughs> And, and I thought to myself, that was really, there were, there were a couple of things that really stuck with me, uh, in that rehab experience of, of 1984 that still do today. And that, that was one of the biggest ones. And I left the rehab and I said, well, I feel a lot better now, uh, the day that I'm leaving, which sort of ironically was Memorial Day of 1984. Um, I feel a whole lot better leaving than I did when I first came in, so I think I can do that 90-day trial period. I mean, after all, at that point, I was in my early 30s, and uh, I said, well, you know, 90 days out of 30-some-odd years really isn't a whole lot of time, so so I'll give this a shot for 90 days, and I'll keep an open mind, and we'll see what happens, and uh, I, I remember the um, I started going to, to 12-step meetings early on, after I came home from rehab, and uh, there was some magic in those meetings that I went to. I mean, I saw people who were talking with each other, who really seemed to have connections with each other, and people who were smiling and laughing. And that looked really cool to me. I said, I think I would like to be like that. Um, and then uh, I didn't make 90 meetings in 90 days, but I probably made about 80. And then I said, you know, I like it this way, and I like it this way better than it was the way before. So I think I'm going to keep doing this. Um, and, you know, but for the grace of God, I have. Um, the only thing was... Uh, you know, I knew about the alcohol. I knew about the drugs. But I didn't acknowledge the sex. And, uh, for me, I'm, I'm not gonna go into the details, but I'm just gonna say that for me, the, uh, I, I guess the sexual acting out and the sexual challenge came up for me when I was, uh, about 11 years old. And then um, shortly after that, I had my first introduction to pornography. And that had really been uh, a major problem for me for a lot of years. And I knew it, but um, you know how it goes. Sometimes the light bulb starts to go on over your head. And you say, i got to do something about this. And then maybe you do, maybe you don't. Uh Then sometimes the light bulb goes on over your head and you think to yourself, well, maybe I need to do something about this, and you do, for a while. And then after a period of time, for me anyway, um, I went back to uh, that way of acting out. So uh, although I was really enjoying my freedom from alcohol and drugs and could clearly see what a slave I was to those substances. Uh, it, was, it wasn't until many years later that I saw what a slave I was um, to lust. I got out of rehab in uh, May of 1984, Memorial Day, and uh, a little less than a year and a half later, um, I had a, a little bit of a career change. I got my first job as a substance abuse counselor. And I've been in the helping professions now for a little bit over 22 years. Uh, when I became a substance abuse counselor, I had a bachelor's degree in psychology, and I had my own personal, uh, experiences, my own, a survivor of my own war on drugs, and I had some knowledge of 12-step programs. Uh, I guess about a year after I was working as a substance abuse counselor, I got into a master's program. So I got a master's degree in social work and I got a credential as a substance abuse counselor. Um, and uh, being a substance abuse counselor has been one of the most challenging and one of the most rewarding parts of my life. And to this day, uh, it's something that is a tremendous and, 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 and challenging, uh, tr- tremendously joyful and tremendously challenging kind of work to do. Uh, but I, I wouldn't trade it. Um, I wasn't completely sober until uh, about three years ago when I finally acknowledged that, yes, indeed, I had a problem. Uh, as you might have guessed, that conclusion wasn't really uh, on my own devices. Uh, that Again, my wife had a tremendous amount of influence on me in coming to that conclusion. And um, I guess I was a little bit ambivalent about embracing the sobriety definition in the beginning. Um, and then after a period of time, um, I would say maybe about six months, I said, OK, I think I need to surrender this stuff like I did the substances. And uh, so now, now today, I kind of think that I've overcome a lot, but certainly not everything. One of the things that I learned in essay that was important for my sobriety is the value of service work. Uh, so I've, I've had several service positions within the group with Intergroup, um, with one of the meetings that I attend, and I've had more service at this convention than I probably can handle. <laughs> uh, but here I am. Um, I think I'd like to talk a little bit about some of the growth I've had Personally and professionally, um, after about 19 years of working for various other organizations uh, with people whose primary problem was substance abuse, and for a short period of time, people whose problem was uh, a severe and persistent mental illness, and a couple of years in public education as a substance awareness coordinator, uh, a- after 19 years of those various things, I decided I, I cannot live with myself unless I see if I can go out into business for myself and be successful. And I don't know that I'll be successful, but uh, if on my deathbed, I think, what if? I really don't want to be in that position of thinking, well, what if I had tried to be out on my own? So, so I did, a little bit over two years ago. And um, that's been a real blessing for me. Uh, it's been a blessing for me because in doing that, hasn't been so much a blessing in terms of income, but the blessings in doing that are really kind of the intangible blessings, uh, an intangible blessing of a huge increase in my self-esteem, despite occasional periods of great self-doubt, um, a huge increase in my confidence, and I think the more genuine I've been able to be uh, through that, and, and also through being involved in this fellowship. Um, I have to give credit where credit's due. Uh, an immense amount of credit and thanks to my wife, who's been tremendously supportive in every aspect and really kind of flipped out when I suggested the idea of self-employment. But she's been wonderfully supportive in spite of her doubts. Uh, and I have to really acknowledge my therapist, who was the guy who said, Who really encouraged me to 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 try it, and without his without his push, uh, I really believe that I wouldn't have. So I owe a tremendous debt of gratitude to him as well. I always felt that in my work with clients, I felt sort of like uh, you know I'm I'm a regular guy. Um, I think the spirituality that I've developed over the years has been a tremendous asset. But you know, sometimes people thank me, and I say to them, I mean, I don't think it really has anything to do with me. I think they're the ones who are doing the hard work, because they're, you know, I'm only, with, they're only with me for maybe an hour uh, out of the whole week. And for the rest of their time, you know, and that's not very much. So for the rest of the time, they're really the ones who have to do the footwork. And I also think that it's not coming from me. It's coming through me from my higher power. Um, And I think that really just serves to affirm and strengthen my faith in my higher power. Uh, I'll just say that um, doing this kind of work has not been without challenges. There are times when people come to see me who I find triggering. And I just recenter myself by putting it back in its proper perspective, that these are humans, they're clients, they're people I'm serving. These are people whose best interest is my number one priority. And that's how I manage that. I want to thank you all. And again, thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for sharing. Okay, I'd like to thank our panelists, Ryan, Ed, and Mike, for their shares and we will now open the floor to sharing because our common welfare comes first here are the guidelines for sharing during the meeting if you wish to speak please wait to be recognized by me no cross-talking please and please keep your sharing uh, to roughly two minutes allowing everyone to share his or her experience please stay close to the microphone and speak clearly Our purpose in sharing is to discuss our experience, strength, and hope in recovery. We focus on the SA 12-step approach to recovery. We don't discuss our other 12-step programs, philosophies, therapies, or occupations. We avoid mentioning specific titles or authors of publications other than SA or AA conference-approved literature. We also avoid using abusive language or sexually explicit Descriptions. Our emphasis here is recovery, the solution, using the tw- the steps in our daily lives. And please remember that this meeting is being taped. The floor is now open for sharing.
6: Hi, my name is Sandy W. Hi, Sandy. Hi, Sandy. Um, thank you, guys. I can relate. uh, everything that you guys talked about. I was in rehab for four months. I was not in a newspaper, but my lawyer told me don't shoot yourself in the (laughs) foot. My lawyer told me don't shoot yourself in the foot when you go before whatever. Okay. And I'm in a healing profession too. And when I came out of rehab after four months, I said to my therapist, well, what do you think? He says, you can go back into what you're doing. I was willing to drop it even though I love what I do. So, um, my, what I want to talk about, if it's okay, is about boundaries. I mean, you know, when someone comes in who I recognize as uh, having addiction, especially, especially sexism, I want to jump up on the table and go, go to FSA, go this, go this, go And it's a boundary issue here, because I can't share too much about myself, because, you know, that's a boundary issue. And, but as a rescuer, I want to rescue everybody. I want to make them better. And uh, so sometimes this is a, and that's what's triggering for me. And uh, sometimes I have to sit there and bite my tongue and say, give them therapist names, suggest to them that there's something out there other than that, and then just let it go. I have to let it go because I want to take it to the nine yards. So I want to take the ball and run to the goal. So, anyways, uh, boundaries is a big issue for me, and um, not telling too much or whatever. So, thanks for letting me share. Thanks, <laughs> Hi, my name is I'm I
7: uh, I'm an educator, also involved with the student assistance program in our school, and also involved with community service outreach. And my uh, Issue is not to want to be the savior for everyone. Whenever there is anything to come up, the administration wants ask me if I can handle it and want it to be the people pleaser. Um, sure, I'll do it because I can do everything, and that's not the reality. Only the, my God or my higher power is. And for me, it's important to establish boundaries, learn when to say no, not no a N O W, but N O, and also to um, make sure I go to my meetings, talk to my sponsor, and do the steps, and also the idea of boundaries because when I get overextended, when I feel I'm burning out at both ends, burning candles at both ends, is when I become weak, and therefore that's when I'm most vulnerable. My uh, problem was running into. Uh, Massage pollen trying to try to just hide away from the world for a period of time and make no one bother me, and when I got out of that place, it was reality sets in, and therefore when I do receive any kind of affirmation or positive feedback, um, the addict wants to say, well, if you only knew what was going on, you wouldn't say that about me, and um, I have to learn just to slow down and only do what I can do because when I am healthy, I can be fully present to uh, my students, my colleagues, and to the areas where I, the, I am called to, uh, call to serve. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you. I'm Bob. I'm a
8: psychoholic. Hi, Bob. Hi, Bob. Um, Just about a little less than 20 years ago. I was in my early 50s. I had been sober in AA for almost 20 years. And I had some success uh, in another sexual recovery program called Sexual Compulsives Anonymous. I have a long history of uh, gay relationships and gay acting out. And I uh, went to social work. school. I changed careers and had one of the most graceful career changes ever. I went to NYU Social Work School, uh, which is supposed to be one of the best social work schools in the country, and uh, within a very short period of, within a period of months, I had a job as a substance abuse counselor in an outpatient clinic, and was um, in business, and have been doing this now for about 20 years as a social worker and addiction counselor, uh, and um, right off the bat, in this very fancy outpatient Rehab where I worked, they made me the uh, the sexual compulsivity expert and sent all of the uh, addicts who were uh, having uh, sex addiction problems to me. Uh, a lot of them were gay. Uh, they were doing coke and uh, you know all kinds of stuff, and uh, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Let me tell you, it was a learning experience. I was, I might add. Um, contaminated by the ideology of sexual compulsives anonymous that everybody gets to make up their own sex plan, their own sex life. And I was also contaminated by my education uh, in the social work field and by all my other so-called helping professionals that uh, everybody gets to cook up their own sex life. Everyone decides for themselves what they want. Um, it took me a long time to get to, um, it took me about 10 years to get to uh, to, uh, to Sexaholics Anonymous where I uh, put into effect what I really always knew anyway, which is that sex is only good uh, uh, in, in a marriage and that it's really wrong and um, uh, unhelpful, to put it bluntly put it mildly, outside of marriage. Some of the problems that I have run into with my own patients, and I've had a number of uh, uh, sexaholics as patients, even though they don't know it. Uh, Some of the problems have been um, being triggered by them. I live in Greenwich Village. I have had a lot of gay patients over the years. Uh, Dealing with um, my attraction to them has not always been easy. It's been very important for me to talk about it. It's been very important for me to pray constantly during therapy sessions. I must constantly ask, what's the next question I ask? What's, how, how do I deal with this? I need to be talking to God. I need to be talking to other people. And the third thing that I need to be doing as a, a professional who is dealing with a lot of people with sexual problems is explore this. A lot of people don't know that they have serious sexual problems. I can ask questions. I don't have to dictate. But I can ask, you know, gentle, slightly intrusive questions about people's sex lives. It's okay to get them started talking about it. And I have to be prepared to intellectually defend on deep philosophical level our sobriety definition. I believe it's part of my job as, as a therapist to do that. Now I don't have to impose this on anyone, but I know, I do know, I, I feel very, uh, very sincerely that I need to know how to defend our sobriety definition, not just for myself, but for others as well. But, Thank you.
9: I'm an urban and a sexaholic at this convention. Um, I'm uh, uh, confused about the whole question of uh, boundaries because that's why I'm here. But my problem is, I think before I was in recovery, I used to lead with my weakness uh, in counseling and stuff like that. But I would lead them to me. You know what I mean? I would use my stories in some way that i manipulate them Emotionally, and then finally, when they were in a position of vulnerability, I'd, get, uh, I'd use them sexually, manipulate them. So now I'm in recovery. I've, I've moved away from from uh, people, just generally, I've become more sort of reclusive in recovery for a period of time. In fact, just coming here and seeing so many people is kind of blowing my mind away really a bit. Uh, but my problem is that uh, in coming back into uh, ministry, I think I, I need to be very careful about the way I, I share my, and respect professional boundaries. So I'm a bit conflicted about the issue of how, how does one use their story appropriately to help others, but not to help themselves to others. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, I want to be very careful about it because my particular form of addictive behavior is uh, master manipulation. You know, just from people's facial language and body language, I can zone in, I can pick up the right story from my my library of uh, sharings, and I can, can, you know, just abuse people again. I don't want to do that, so I'm uh, just very unsure about uh, how to go about that, thanks.
10: My name is Greg. I'm a sex
9: symbol. I That's what I really sound like.
6: That's weird.
10: <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm a, a teacher. Um, I'm studying also to be an administrator. So you know, I've never. I, I love being in school. I love being around children. I think sometimes I take for granted that I have such a great opportunity to help children and. But I wasn't always sober in the beginning of my career, and I don't think I was very useful to them in the beginning of my career. Um, I mean, I you know I tried my best to help them. I tried my best to teach them, and I guess I, you know I wanted them all to be you know I you know grateful. To, you know, I wanted them all to act a certain way. And it was a very difficult public school that I worked in, and I screamed a lot, and I was a little angry, and and uh, yeah, it was I, I didn't feel very effective. And somebody talked about that a little bit when I came here to clean up my act. Uh, it just made it such a big turnaround for me. I really, tro- I really kept things in perspective, I was able to let things go, I was able to let go of resentments and I embraced my career a little bit better. I, I wasn't so paranoid about time, get to s- school at 8.30, leave at 3.05. I stay and I don't get, you know, if I begin to Keep careful accounts of exactly how much time I'm spending and am I giving my time away that I'll begin to resent it so I just let that go and, I, and I've really been able to give all I can to this job and I'm happy to be working with children I'm very grateful for it I'm never going to be a rich man um, but that's okay because I don't want to be I, I just want to be thankful that I'm in a position to help children and to make that my career at the same time.
8: And I can give to them as much as I want to. And that's what I'm trying to do. And God has
10: taken me out of that difficult school and now he's placed me into a new school that's amazing. It's one of the best schools in New Jersey, I think. And and I'm very grateful to be working there. And it's it's a great blessing. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks. 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 Greg.
7: So, I have time for one more share.
2: Hi, my name is Kevin. I'm the 6th Hallie. Hi, Kevin. And uh, yeah, this is weird. I do have a microphone like that. And uh, um, I'm in a service uh, 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 occupation, and I was thinking about the word serve. You know, for me, growing up, the word "serve" was to give. You know, to give. Um, um, I didn't really know what that word meant. Like so many other words in my life today, I'm really, I'm really learning what these words mean. And serve so is to uh, throw myself, you know, at the feet of people who I come into contact with. It's to uh, be honest, and uh, that really comes through with the first step for me. The idea of being honest and uh, you know, I don't know how to have a relationship. That's one of the things that I have uh, come into an awareness of. And uh, uh, um, it's humbling, and uh, it's good, yeah. Uh, I, uh, as I work the steps, I guess there's somewhere along the lines, there's a, a word also that comes to mind, which is balance, and uh, giving and taking. Uh, the, the program, actually before the program, my interactions with my clients uh, were either high or low. There was nothing in the middle. It was either I was like doing a wonderful job and I deserved praise and admiration while I was so far so far that I didn't deserve any recognition from the people I came into contact with. And what I'm coming more into you know, contact with today is I'm somewhere between you know, that's where I get the twelve steps. Is that I'm neither the best or the worst. I'm somewhere in between, trying the best I can to interact with people at my job, and uh, it's really a blessing. Uh, taking it one day at a time. I'm very grateful.
9: Thanks. Thank Sure. <laughs> hey, I
1: would thank everyone for being here. I'd like to thank our speakers and participants for sharing their
9: experience, strength, and hope. I want give our panelists another round of applause. Okay, it so says,
1: to summarize a few of the recovery ideas I've heard The main one i heard is it works if you work. I'll leave it at that. Remember, this is an anonymous program. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. The stories you hear are told in confidence and should not be repeated outside. Please keep any names, addresses, or phone numbers you learn about an essay to yourself. And what we say here, let it stay here. Here, here, here. Okay, let's all gather around here at the table with joint hands.
2: And uh, please join me in the third step prayer. Okay. And, um, yeah.
1: Build it with me and to be with me as thou wilt. Weave in the honor of that I may enter through thy will.
8: Take away my, my difficulties, and get me over and them. May bear witness to those that I held, of thy, thy power, power, thy love, and thy, and thy way of life. That may I, I do
1: thy will
0: always.